0: You are listening to Behind the Horses' Eyes on the Illiterate Podcast Network. Most of us these days live very busy lives between balance and work, our farms, our horses, individual needs. Time slips away from us very quickly. And if you're like me and you love to read, that leaves very little time to read. But I have a solution, and that's Audible. Audible has hundreds of thousands of books right at your fingertips in audio format. You can now find me most days around the barn with my earbuds in. Or maybe when I'm at work and it's safe to do so, I'll be listening to the book that I'm currently listening to, which is Sergeant Reckless. Which is the true unprecedented account of the United States Marine Corps' most, not only most decorated horse, but most heroic horse. And I'm going to do you another favor. If you head on over to audible.com, trial.com forward slash J. Ryan Chastain, you're going to get 30 days of Audible free plus a free audio book of your choosing. And if you decide Audible is not for you and you want to cancel within that 30 days, guess what? You get to keep the book and there's no obligation for you to carry on your subscription if you don't want it to anymore. Let's say you get a subscription, you've had it for a few months, and you decide, you know what, it's not for me, and you've got three or four books that you've purchased, you get to keep those too. Also, you acquire points every month, and you can use those points to buy more books. Most books are one or two of those points, you're going to get one point every month just for being a member. So, head on over to audibletrial.com forward slash J. Ryan Chastain today. There will be a link in the description of this episode and go get your free audiobook. had the distinct opportunity to sit down with Sarah, aka the rare buckaroo, who is almost famous or notorious, depending on how you look at it, um, as she is a employee of the Bureau of Land Management. She works for the BLM, and she works with Mustangs, and depending on the type of person you are, you either love her or hate her. I happen to love her, and I love the work that she does, and her honesty uh, when it comes to working with America's feral horses. And I, yes, I am that person. Um, We do not have wild horses here in the United States. We have feral horses here, and though they have the right to be managed and they have a right to be on the land, we always seem to let our emotion get involved and point a finger in the eye of the Bureau of Land Management. And though I will be the first to say that I don't appreciate all of their practices, but I do understand that they are cuffed when it comes to budgets and everything else and trying to deal with something that is not their first priority. Their first priority is to be the mediator of public lands and the public. Horses got added to their plate later as a side project, as you, if you will. And I have firsthand witnessed some of the hate that's thrown sarah's way and most of it is from those that are not educated on the subject and are acting purely out of emotion and there's nothing wrong with having emotion and being devout towards something especially when you put your whole heart into it but it's another thing when you put your whole heart into something and the mind isn't quite in line with fact one doesn't have to look very far to see what would happen if we just left the Mustang to their own devices. They already have problems in areas like Nevada where they're hit by cars and trucks on the highway. They're emaciated, inbred, can't find water and food, and I know a lot of people say, well just limit the number of cattle and sheep. And you can't really do that either because the ranchers have a right. And if you go over and look at Sarah's TikTok, she did a great video on where horse HMAs are and where sheep and cattle grazing rights are, and they unfortunately do not align on the map. And that was honestly a great piece of information for me because I had never thought about taking the two maps and putting them together and overlaying. And see where these cattle and sheep are grazing and then where these HMAs are for these horses. And again, one does not have to look very far to see what happens when you leave feral horses, horses that were bred as saddle horses, domestic horses, and leave them to their own devices. Take a look at the Cumberland Island horse in Georgia A horses whose lifespan is now barely over 15 years. I think the survival rate of foals is 1 in 6 or 1 in 8. And they're literally starving to death. And because that is a national seashore, those horses can't be touched. And though legislation is trying to be pushed to, hey, we need to, to step in, get these horses off of this island and get them out and preserve them. We don't hear a peep out west when it comes to the Mustang. We hear, let them run. And it's usually the same people that are fighting hard for the Cumberland are the same people fighting against the preservation of the Mustang when it comes to actually mitigating what's going on out there. Mustangs have to have water sources. They have to have land to graze on. And unfortunately, where some of these horses congregate and stay, there's not enough. And you can't blame it all on cattle, and you can't blame it all on sheep, because the majority of the places where these horses are, there are no cattle and there are no sheep. I do not have a degree in whatever you need a degree in to be a herd manager for the BLM. I am on the outside looking in, but I am a horseman, and I have dealt with horses, and I know how horses act, and these guys are no different than the horse that a lot of people like you may have in your backyard. And if you were to say you're going to turn your horse out Into a forest or out on the plains. How would your horse do? And I know a few people are going to go. Well my horse is used to me taking care of it. And me feeding it. You know that's different. Okay well take your horse as a weanling. And turn it out. And see what happens. Will it live? To 25, 30, 35 years old? Or will it die probably before it's 10? I lean to say that it would probably die before it's 10 years old. And that's why if you love these horses out west, or even the ones that we have here on the east coast where I'm at, you should be for some sort of management, some sort of preservation, keeping them from inbreeding making sure the, the mares that have no business breeding aren't breeding and the stallions that have no be- business passing on their genetic material are not passing it on. Evolution is not really at play here. And the reason it's not is because, again, these are domesticated animals. Our natural horses disappeared between ten and 11,000 years ago um, as the Yukon horse in the Yukon region when the Bering Land Bridge Dissolved essentially, and you take a look at the actual Yukon horse, there is no comparison to these horses that now roam out west. they're a lot bigger, they're a lot different, and mentally they are not the same. so I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Sarah and uh keep in mind that we took this as two friends sitting and talking and, and She was great. It was one of the best interviews I think I've ever done. Um, She is so full of information, and she is so forthcoming and just being honest um, with how feral horses are handled. We deep dive into a few other subjects, too, and like we always do, we always end up in a rabbit hole somewhere down here trying to find our way back to the original subject at hand. So far, this has got to be... One of my favorite conversations. And I want to get her on again with Laura Brunel from Fox Hollow Mustangs. uh, And maybe get Coda Belt and a few others that deal with these horses either training or, you know, out on the range. And really pick their brains. So without any further ado, here's Sarah. There it goes. Now it's saying we're recording. Oh,
1: good. Cut out for... Second, everything left i'm like oh crap
0: you know that usually that usually shocks everyone the first time we love zoom around here for one the audio quality is so much better and secondly that you know it automatically downloads the file for me after it you know skype is kind of skype's kind of like that wish.com version of zoom yeah
1: yeah i i've never used either i used zoom for the first time the other day I mean, it was pretty easy for someone that's not very tech-savvy like me. So
0: so for those of you out there, you might recognize that voice because she's been going through her comments with a fine-tooth comb the last few days, and it has been lit, and I have been here for it. Sarah, Sarah Weddle. Did I say it right? Weddle. Weddle. We just had this whole conversation. <laughs> uh, that's Sarah all right. Waddell, uh the rare buckaroo herself
1: that's me that's for sure i mean it's it's kind of funny because like when i started tiktok and stuff like that i never thought that i was gonna have as many followers as i do and now people legit recognize me for as the rare buckaroo and so (laughs) it's just it's weird to me (laughs) it is
0: um have you been spotted in the wild yet
1: uh on rare
0: occasions yes so you know you'll have to Jess rice who co-hosts with me she's not able to make it here tonight but yeah i made the mistake of going to road to the horse yeah and it was it was weird man i mean I, i mean i'm here for it and i appreciate everybody that came up was like i follow you and i'm like holy crap everyone's here you know
1: yeah when i went to um Texas of all places. Um, I went to Texas a couple weeks ago. Well, I should say over a month ago. It seemed like a couple weeks ago, but uh, there was a ton of people that recognized me down there, and I was surprised in Texas. You know, I'm a flat hatter in Texas, and they're yeah, recognize me down there. They're like, "Are you the rare buckaroo?" And I'm like, "I am," and they're like, "Oh my god!" That's and right.
0: Because tech- tech- yeah, the yeah, the. The Texas Tacos got to have heroes.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I had a few people yell at me when I was in Texas because 99% of the time, there was one day that I did dress up when I was there, but 99% of the time that I was down there, I was wearing what I would wear to a branding, just a button-up shirt, jeans, and my flat hat. Yeah. And uh, I had people yell at me while they were driving down the street, go home, flat hatter! And I was just (laughs) like, All right, I'm sorry that you had to be so intimidated by the pinnacle of horsemanship. I <laughs> I I know.
0: I mean, it and it's nuts when you go through. Um, I'm a show pony guy. I'm neither cowboy nor buckaroo, and uh, you know, I, I I look like one in the show ring, but mm-hmm. usually I'm in a ball cap, jeans, and a t-shirt. Right, 90% not, which a lot of us are anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, and hey dudes or something, but. Yeah. And it's crazy to me, you know, for one, we're one hell of a toxic community. Let's just put it that way as a whole. Oh, yeah. And um, when we get into exactly what you do, you deal with a lot of toxic people that are not in the community most of the time. Yeah. But the amount of toxicity that we have within the community, especially between cowboys and buckaroos, is Mm -hmm. nuts.
1: Oh, gosh, yeah.
0: You know, you you've got one side there that says that if you're not throwing a fifty footer, you know, you might as well be a pig in string. Yeah. Uh, you know. And, and I which I I always come back at a lot of you a lot of you slick fork guys with if you need buck and rolls, maybe you need a swell fork.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so and that's That's one of the reasons why I don't run with buck and rolls. Well, for one, I haven't found a pair that I actually even like because I'm pretty picky about my gear. Yeah. And I haven't found a pair that's like a just, I mean, massive and just not what I'm looking for. And I'm pretty picky. And so, so I haven't gone with, you know, my saddle came with buck and rolls and I got rid of them pretty quick. And
0: uh, it's a good look. I like the look of buck and rolls on a, on a saddle. I just yeah. – it's just now – nobody said a thing about that like 10 years ago, and now everybody's like, you know, you need oh, you yeah. buck and rolls. And now you need to swell for it, and I'm like – or you just like that nice, comfy tree that comes on that saddle, and yeah, I, just, I yeah. ignore those people. Yeah. It, it is what it, – it's the same people you know that – that wear a tractor supply hat, and they're not even a bull hauler. They're hauling, like, a refrigeration truck or something. Yeah. Yeah, telling you about, oh, you're make-believe.
1: exactly.
0: So so tell us a little about yourself. That's what I want to know, and I think that's what everybody else wants to know, too.
1: Um. So a lot of people... When they see my profile, if they're new followers and stuff like that, or people that are just getting to know me, they don't know that I didn't grow up in the cowboy industry. Not even remotely close. Um, my parents owned a janitorial supply business and the closest thing to a horse that we had when I was a little kid was a German shepherd and, uh, horses were kind of always my passion ever since I was teeny, teeny tiny. And, uh, any movie that had a horse in it was my absolute favorite movie. Um, I was a huge Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron fan when I was a <laughs> kid. Or, but now that I work for the BLM, I'm like, that movie's bullcrap. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, uh, yeah, it's just, I didn't grow up in the Western industry or cowboying or anything like that. The community that I grew up in, there was a lot of... uh. I would call them cattle farmers and not cattle ranchers. Yeah, because they had cattle, but their main source of income was from the hay and that they did in the summertime.
0: So that's very similar to my family and how I got introduced to the industry. Is my family were cattle farmers. And not cattle ranchers, which means, in my opinion, a cattle farmer is usually somebody that has around 100 head or less, and their main source of income is usually something else. My dad had a full-time job, kept around 30 head of cows. Mm -hmm. They broke even on cows. Yeah. It was mainly a hobby. But I wasn't allowed to have a horse because they were hay burners. All they did was get sick. They weren't fit for nothing. And yeah. There's nothing that you can't do on an ATV that you need a horse to do. And I always right. called bull crap on that. Even though now that you know I'm thirty-nine years old and I'm like, you know, my four wheeler does do a lot more than my horse does, but it's okay.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's total I mean, whatever, you know, suits your fancy, if that's what makes you money, that's what makes you money. And if you can make a decent living off of either way and you enjoy it, that's perfectly fine in my opinion you know, but yeah, I mean, a lot of the people that I grew up around, they, like you said, they had four wheelers, and mm-hmm. when they went to gather their cattle off of forest allotments, their cows were so trained to the feed truck, that all they had to do was drive down forest surface roads and yep. honk their horns, and their cattle would come out of the tree, Yep. and, uh, yeah, and so I always, even, you know, after I got my first horse, um, always thought you know why don't we use horses and stuff like that most of the cattle ranchers you know or cattle farmers in the area they would have horses but the only reason why they had horses is because their kids showed in 4-h or something like
0: that that's right because most of the cows like you just said most of the cows were so used to a truck yeah like our cows dad could pull that had a yellow four-wheel drive toyota like an 81 model <laughs> and they would stare at it if it was outside the gate
1: yeah <laughs> and if
0: it was in the gate they followed it so it was yeah it's easy to get cows up
1: and my dad uh we were good friends with some cattle farmers uh still good friends my husband and i got married on their place and everything like that they're just good genuine people and my dad was really good friends with them and uh his favorite thing to do was go out in the winter time and we give them the uh pea pellets and stuff like that and my dad absolutely loved that. He thought that was the best thing. And my dad thought he was a cowboy. He bought a cowboy hat specifically so he could drive the truck down with the bu- you know, all the fifty buckets of pea pellets on the back so that someone could pitch them <laughs> into the theater. and he thought he was a cowboy for doing that. And you know, it was pretty great. You know, my dad thought that it was pretty amazing experience yeah. and so having all the cattle gather around him and stuff like that. But yeah, for the most part, most of the people I mean in the area of northeastern Washington where I grew up it's an agricultural community but the agriculture is mostly hay and uh you know some sort of crop type of farming yeah. and cows on the side
0: How far are you from Coeur d'Alene?
1: Um where I grew up I was only about an hour and 15 minutes from Coeur d'Alene.
0: I have I have friends in in Idaho near Coeur d'Alene, and it is gorgeous up there
1: Oh it is absolutely gorgeous I love that place and like I identify quote-unquote as an Idahoan even though I was born and raised in Washington uh but Coeur d'Alene area absolutely loved it um I I lived up there for quite a while outside of Coeur d'Alene in a small town called Sagal for quite a
0: while everybody here in the southeast the only thing they think about when they think of Idaho is potatoes, and that is yep. just a small portion of Idaho, because oh. Idaho is so much more than potato fields.
1: Oh, it is. It is absolutely. I mean, you go up in northern Idaho, you get into some amazing country. I mean, it's just absolutely gorgeous. It is a
0: sportsman's paradise. If you like it, to hunt and fish, holy crap.
1: Oh, yeah. Especially in Idaho. I mean... I mean, you can draw, you don't have to draw tags, it's all over the counter, you can spend so much time going out there hunting and fishing, and it's just absolutely, you can spend, you know, months upon months up there just exploring.
0: Oh, yeah. So, let's kind of jump in, which I kind of, that's a good little segue, to kind of jump into the subject of hand when we start talking about wildlife and what is wildlife and what is not. uh <laughs> um, I have harped, and I've done videos in the past, and I've got the same response that you have, but you have a whole lot more first-hand experience because you do, in fact, work for the Bureau of Land Management.
2: hmm
0: I don't know if you want me to say that or not. Oh, uh, I don't
1: care.
0: Okay. I, mean, I don't want to get you in trouble with your job, but I'm also not going to yeah. ask you to draw you into a corner um, or anything like that. Yeah. Um And I've always looked at the BLM as they've got a really tough job to do because their first priority, number one, as an agency, is to be the mediator of public land and the public. Yeah. And then horses got dumped on their plate. Exactly. And they're, you know, and it's hard to to get people to understand uh, what exactly is going on there with with the limited budget that the BLM works with. Mm-hmm. and also the fact that – and I'm just going to come out and say it – the fact that horses are pretty and other feral animals aren't, and therefore yeah. people who are not in the horse industry – and I, there's even some in the horse industry that I will – and I won't say they're stupid people, but they are ignorant to the fact that these are, in fact, not wild animals. Exactly. So and- I want you to elaborate a little bit on that because, you, to me, you're the expert here.
1: I wouldn't say I'm necessarily the expert. Um, when I've lived in northeastern Washington, I was pretty, I wouldn't say that I was hardcore anti gather but I was anti gather I mean, I didn't see any reason to be gathering the Mustangs and stuff like that. And when I moved to eastern Oregon, and uh, even before I moved to eastern Oregon, when my husband and I were around some feral horses, uh, the Mustangs, and I started seeing them in person. I started realizing that it was, they needed to be managed and stuff like that. But uh, to get in it technically, just like, you know, I'm sure you saw my TikTok video where I got into depth. Uh, someone was arguing with me saying that, you know, they've been here 500 years. They've lived wild. They've eaten wild. They are born wild. Oh, and yeah. They, and so I broke down the definitions of feral and wild. And most of these videos that I do arguing with these people, you know, it's a lot of answers I already know. But I do like to do the research and screenshot and show people exactly, hey, this is exactly what you get when you do the research. Yeah. And, um, and also,
0: I don't mean to interrupt you, but also, I love your style. And the reason I love it is because it reminds me of me. <laughs> you, <laughs> that's you exactly can, why
1: I like all your videos, too. Well,
0: And it's because... You can be argumentative and informative at the same time. Exactly. Um, And more or less offer a counterpoint. Um, yeah. And then usually it gets people completely flustered. They start talking out of their ass at that point. Yeah.
1: yeah
0: um, I, you know, wait, wait, and, and the video that you're ta- – <laughs> yeah, the video you're talking about, I think I commented on that person. Yeah. Uh, And I, I tried to break it down simple. I don't yeah. think I was being a butthole, and I think I got I got drugged through the mud on that one, too, and I'm like, hold up. And then I think the very next one, I'm like – because I think you said something about feral pigs, and I can sit here and tell you from the southeast United States, we eradicate, eradicate feral pigs. Yeah. There is no place for them. They destroy everything. They They kill native species, and I think it was you that said – Nobody bats an eye at feral pigs, and then somebody else goes, yeah, horses are, quote, pretty.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, like I said, I was breaking down the exact definition of feral and the exact definition of wild. And if you break down the definitions of the two words, uh, mustangs fit feral to the T, but they do not fit uh, wild in any way, shape, or form the definition of wildlife or a wild species and stuff like that do, no. do not fit that definition at all.
0: Well and, and I would honestly I would honestly argue more to the fact that feral pigs have more in common with being wild than yeah. feral horses. And the reason being is is if you take a domestic pig, turn it out into the wild, it will grow tusk and three inch hair by the time yeah. it's two years old. Exactly. They won't do that in captivity. A you throw a half stock horse, half thoroughbred, which is the majority of our, you know, HMAs, uh, yeah. out, and it's going to come back, starve to death, and you know, yeah. hooks on its teeth, can't eat well, because yeah. those are, we're not talking about these little small European horses that used to run around, or the horses we had here ten thousand years ago. We're talking stock horses.
1: Yeah. Well, and there's even people to argue like, well there's proof that there was horses in the United States before the Europeans ever showed up. And I'm like, yeah, I totally agree with that. There was, but genetic, you know, if genetic testing on, like, there's a ton of people that do genetic testing on these Mustangs and stuff like that for particular breeds and stuff like that. Yeah. It's thought that these horses were actually direct ancestors of that Morgan and Quarter Horse would not be no. like, Prominent genetic traits. Yeah. Of these
0: horses, yeah, and and Barb and and Delusion and all the all the Conquistador horses, and then you yeah. know horses like Morgan, which came from the east and and exactly. solidified in the west. Well, you know, and a lot of people want to throw well the, well, uh, those horses have DNA of horses that were some of the first ancestors of modern horses. And usually, my argument to that is, you do know that all horses. Are thought to have evolved out of North, what is now North America, and then exactly. migrated out. Yeah. And then horses died out here, what, ten thousand years ago, at the end of the last ice age. Yeah. And, um, maintained in areas like Europe. Uh, I think what they were, there were wild horses in Central Europe up until what a hundred years ago or something. Yeah. What, are the, what were those little white horses? I forget what they're called.
1: Oh. I know it's ones you're talking about, but I can't remember the yeah. exact.
0: Yeah. You know, but we have very few true wild horses left, you know, yeah. in the world. And then they want to throw, well, you know, th- there's Spanish accounts that they saw indigenous tribes on horses um, in North Carolina.
2: Yeah.
0: You know, uh, and I'm like, yeah, but here's the thing one guy said he saw that. Well, indigenous tribes, they have uh, uh, an oral history uh, them with, with horses. Yeah, but can we date that?
1: Exactly.
0: You know, the, the fossil record doesn't lie, and I'll be the first to tell you, and I don't mean to hijack because I'm supposed to be interviewing here, you here, but this is the thing that always irritates me the most is we have to go with what the fossil record tells us, and the fossil record tells us that horses died out here 10,000 years ago.
1: Yeah, Exactly which is you know there's a lot of people they'll argue every single point that they can google and find Mm -hmm. just to prove that these mustangs deserve to be free and wild and unmanaged but the fact of the matter is even when they get to that point i'll tell them all right let's say that these horses are native just for this argumentative sake just to give you the benefit of the doubt uh what native species in North America in the United States is not allowed to be hunted and managed that way? Yeah. You know, I mean there's thousands upon thousands of species of deer, elk, antelope, you know, every single portion of wildlife on public lands is managed by hunting and other met- other ways as well. well and in Australia
0: unless- they manage the Brumby by hunting. Yeah you're allowed to hunt them there.
1: And yeah, exactly. And I tell them, you know, unless the animal is technically endangered, which is one of the videos that I posted yesterday, I said, you know, the only animals, you know, the wildlife in America that aren't allowed to be hunted are endangered species, which endangered species, they have to have 2,500 or less mature adult animals. To be qualified as endangered, which there's over 70,000 Mustangs roaming the U.S. today. So they're not even close to being qualified as endangered. So yeah. even if they are technically – I mean the only reason why they're protected is because they're pretty.
0: Yeah. Well, and and I, I want to set the record straight for everybody that's listening that – before you get the wrong idea. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah and I actually like these things. In fact, yeah. I have a BLM brand on my ribs. <laughs> uh, I, I won't flash. I don't want to get shot by your husband. But um, <laughs> I do have a BLM brand on my ribs, um, and it was a, a horse that meant a whole lot to me. Right. Um, and, I mean, I I have a fascination with Mustangs. Um, oh, I do. I, I, I yeah and, and I know you do too i mean you you work with them you train them uh you're you're all about them as well, so I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea that that we dislike these horses by any means I well, think
1: the whole re- no, go ahead. the whole reason why I even applied to be at the b l m is because you know. I'm a steward of animals and I love and care for all animals. And after the fact of me coming and seeing that these horses were starving to death and stuff like that and dying for absolutely no reason, because they're quite quite literally being loved to death. Yeah. And I wanted to be a part of the, a part of the difference. I wanted to make sure that these, you know, I wanted to be a part of making sure that these animals were, these horses were well taken care of. I didn't join the BLM because I hate horses and I hate Mustangs and I think they need to be eradicated. I think Mustangs should be able to roam the U.S. you know for the rest of eternity.
0: In but limited, healthy numbers.
1: Exactly. At a well-managed number to where they can sustain a healthy lifestyle and actually have a good quality of life throughout the entire HMA, whatever HMA it may be.
0: Yeah. I always invite people when they bring up, just leave them alone I always bring up the the Cumberland Island horse, which is very close to me, and I've seen those horses firsthand. It's disgusting, yeah, they're all emaciated they're they're lucky if they live to be you know thirteen fourteen years old they yeah. the The full mortality rate I think is like one in eight foals live
1: oh jeez,
0: um, and then guess what? it is a federally protected national seashore, so you can't do anything with those horses, yeah. They're just they're just stuck there, you know, munching on, you know, palmetto trees and whatever sea oats and seagrass that they can get. Um, There's been people that's, you know, brought hay and stuff like that out to them, but they're literally starving to death. They're being protected to death.
1: Exactly.
0: And And, they're the descendants of colonial horses. They're not wild. They're the descendants of colonial horses. (laughs) And they weren't very good horses, or people would have gobbled them all up years ago, and I hate to say that about the Mustangs, but if a lot of the HMAs were really great, really great horses, we wouldn't have them because ranchers would have gobbled them all up 100 years ago. Right. And and they wouldn't be out there, and I'm not saying they can't do amazing things. I'm just saying they could breed better stuff than they could find roaming the hills.
1: Right. I mean – You know, you look at states like Nevada and Utah and stuff like that where they have a vast overpopulation. And they hate
0: them there. Those guys hate them.
1: They're all, you know, big-headed, short, little, tiny Mustangs. You know, they got that typical Mustang look to them where a lot of people aren't very fond of it. I mean, not to brag on Oregon or anything like that, but there's not many HMAs in Oregon that are— vastly overpopulated
0: no you'll have very desirable horses when it comes to adoption by the way
1: yeah we i mean um i've mentioned to my husband before uh where he was like you know what if we moved to nevada or moved back to idaho and stuff like that he's like you could become a tip trainer and you could train mustangs you can get it from the nevada or the idaho corrals and i'm like no i'm driving all the way to oregon to get tip horses yeah
0: My, my buddy skyler lives in uh utah uh near the near the great salt lake and where they ride up near the wyoming border i think there's an hma uh mm-hmm. up in that area and they run across them all the time and usually you know they're doing like the pony express ride or something like that it's yep. the middle of the night and they come across a herd and they're like they scare us to death because our horses just see other horses and then i have a friend that lives near carson city and they'll be out working their horses all of a sudden here comes mustangs yeah. You know, it's nuts. I know they were saying in Nevada and Utah and places like that, it's nothing for them to just be hit by cars because they're just wandering yeah. across the highway.
1: Yeah, there's so many of them. They just I mean, in Carson City, it's pretty well known for mustangs to just show up and lay in people's yards and eat the grass and you know, sunbathe and get soaked by people's sprinklers. They're completely unbothered by people because there's so many of them. They're getting Because pushed.
0: they're not wild.
1: Yes, exactly
0: <laughs> i mean yeah they they know not only that, but they've known they've seen people bring them food, try to pet yeah. them. There's a reason why you don't you know even with wildlife, there's why there's always signs you don't feed the wildlife
1: yeah
0: and and horses they'll uh they take that association a little different,
1: yeah. And I tell people all the time, like, you know, working, you know, as someone who's worked as a cowboy and stuff like that, I'll trust a mad mama cow any day over top of a mad mama horse. That's, I mean, they can do a lot more things than cattle. They can be pretty dangerous. and I've
0: always, seen, I've seen, not, I've seen Mustangs take, uh, you know, 10 and 12 foot cattle panels, hit yeah. them and bend them like ewes. Yeah. And it not phase them.
1: Yeah. Uh, they're pretty tough and hardy and they can be pretty aggressive. I mean, there is a, a week ago I was up on the South Steens HMA, which is only 10 minutes from my house. I was up there checking water sources and a bachelor stud came down and uh, he came right up to me. I took pictures of him with my cell phone really close. Like he was probably only like 15 feet from me and, uh, Got some cool pictures and stuff like that with my phone. And then I uh, decided that maybe I should pick up a stick and kind of scare him off because he wasn't getting scared. He was so used to people. He was just like, what's going on here? And I'm like, I'm not going to trust no bachelor stud. Coming no. From like, he's probably thinking that I'm in his territory and I need to get out. And uh, they can be pretty dangerous.
0: So walk us through how, how the BLM decides it's going to gather can you walk us through that as for because i'm sure a lot of people want to know i know there's a a lot of folks out there just assumes that oh y'all just go out and just gather random horses and then i hear people going yeah and they use helicopters and this that and the other walk us through that process if you don't mind
1: so uh the wild horse specialist in the area whatever you know that may be i mean oregon has a few different wild horse specialists for different hmas uh they calculate uh based on numbers. They'll go out and count horses and they'll do kind of a projection of what the year's gonna look like. And uh depending on, you know, what you think the summer is gonna look like. Uh that's kind of how we base off of what we need to gather and what the numbers of the horses are. And so, like, this year we're planning on gathering uh, South Steens and Palomino Butte, for sure, in Oregon. And uh, then they kind of just put together a, kind of like a, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of like a. Just kind of like a way to present to the higher ups that this is what needs to be done with these horses. And then higher ups in Washington, DC decide, okay, yeah, we liked your projections. This HMA needs to be gathered and stuff like that, that HMA. And uh it can be quite difficult because like last year we were two weeks out from gathering uh three different HMAs and they said we're halting all gathers this year no gatherers at all, and there was a ton of horses out there, you know, Stinking Water and Palomino Beats were the two main gatherers that we were doing, and we were like, we need to get these horses gathered, like, they're dying, and it wasn't until, like, so, you know, they, that we got that point across that they're like, oh, yeah, you know, they're out there starving to death and dying because of dehydration and stuff like that, and it wasn't until, like, four or five days before that, we were actually planned, like since the beginning of the year to gather that they even gave us the go ahead to get that done. And uh, so there's a lot more involvement than just, there's a lot of people involved than just who like us at the corrals who see these horses all the time and stuff like that. There's higher ups that you have to kind of put together a presentation and explain why they need to be gathered and what your projections for the year is going to be as far as feed and water for these horses and calculate everything and put it together for these people to understand and put together which in my mind is kind of kind of messed up because like you can't always tell these people in DC that these horses are just starving and dying of dehydration And they don't really, especially people with no horse experience, you know, how they can go out and say yes or no to this when we're the people that see these horses year round all the time. Um, But uh, we do use, uh, majority of our gathers are helicopter gathers. And a lot of people do protest saying that they're inhumane and these horses are traumatized. But I can tell you from experience from working at the corrals and, lit, and the corrals not being that far from a hospital. Helicopters fly over the corrals all the time. And those horses are completely unfaced, even freshly gathered horses. Yeah. I mean, every single Mustang that I've ever had and ever adopted or ever trained for somebody else helicopter flies over and they just kind of raise their head and they're just like oh what's that and then go back to whatever they're doing they're unfazed they're not traumatized by helicopters and a lot of the people that we because we contract out who you know we put out we need a helicopter gather and then people bid for that it's not like we just go out and pick someone um and then we pick out the best bid but uh a lot of the helicopters at people who contract out that fly the helicopters and stuff like that, especially for Oregon, we get a lot of really good pilots that they don't push the horses too hard and they bring them in nice and slow and calm. And it's just, it's not a big traumatic event like a lot of people imagine it to be. They get one picture of a helicopter down low where it appears the helicopter is right on that horse's butt. And they think, the helicopter tried to crush this horse to get it into the trap. When in reality, that wasn't even the scenario at all. Yeah. Uh, and then we do do bait traps for certain HMAs. Uh, ten, we tend to wait to bait. We tend to bait trap the HMAs that are uh, more, uh, kind of dense forest area where it'd be kind of impossible to do a helicopter gather because these horses are going to hide up in the trees and you can't get them out with a helicopter no matter what you do. Um, So we'll bait trap and we'll use water or feed to get them in. And bait trapping, in my opinion, bait trapping is, which a lot of anti-gather people say, why don't you bait trap them instead? In my opinion, bait trapping is a lot more inhumane than helicopter gathers because you get a bunch of fresh, Feral horses that come into a trap and a gate slams shut, that trap moves around like a freaking amoeba, and it just rotates, the panels move, these horses crash into panels, they get themselves injured, they cut themselves, they break legs, they break necks, and in my opinion, that's way less humane. When you do a helicopter gather, most of these horses, they come in and they trot out for a few miles before they get to the trap. So by the time they get to the trap, they're pretty tired. Yeah. And sorting is super easy. We sort all the studs off of the mares. We sort the babies off of the mares. And so that mares are coming in on a trailer, babies are coming in on a trailer, studs are coming in on a trailer. It makes sorting a lot easy because these horses are worn out and they're not super fresh. There's a lot less injury that happens to these horses because they're not crashing around in the pens. Most of the time when you sort them off into a pen, they just stand there. And it's very rare that these horses even jump out after.
0: To to me, it just speaks to how we train horses. The pen would be the release at that point.
2: Yeah, Yeah, a pressure release
0: scenario. And And I never understood. I'd heard about bait trapping before, but I'm glad you explained it. And I, I see exactly what you're saying. There is no release there. If the the whole thing in their mind is trying to eat them at that point, and yeah, so so yeah, I see exactly what you're saying. And uh, yeah, it it makes a whole lot more sense to me. Yeah, to to use a helicopter or, or trucks or, or whatever to move them out into a trap, than, yeah. Exactly.
1: Just like you said, it's simple pressure and release. They get the pressure from the helicopter. They get in the trap. They get a release, you know, until they're asked to be sorted off. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's pretty simple logically thinking that helicopter gathers are a lot more humane for the horses. Because if you do look up the, the statistics, I can't even talk. If you do look up the statistics, um. The amount of horses that are injured on a bait trap and the amount of horses that are injured on a helicopter gather, there's a significant amount of difference on injuries. Even if it's just minute injuries, like they just cut their shoulder open or something like that, there's a significant difference on these gathers. And a lot of people don't care to do the research to even dive into stuff like that. But as someone who's seen both of them from experience now, I can tell you that helicopter gathers are really not inhumane yeah yeah bait trapping is just in my opinion is not the way to go unless it's the only way to go
0: so and that brings me to another point we start talking about humane stuff and and feral horses everybody always wants to bring up mustangs and kill pins and Let's just go ahead and call a spade a spade. Ninety percent of what people call a kill pin isn't a kill pin. It's just a, yeah. it's just an auction. Um or it's just some scammer that's trying to tell you this horse has got a ship date, so pay the bail. You know yep. real real kill pin folks are, are really low key because they don't want their tires slashed, they gotta make that load. Um right. and I'm under the impression because I've I have an application in that's been approved with the BLM, I can adopt a yearling um and reading through everything apparently it is a federal crime if you don't have a title on that horse just you can't sell that at an auction and an auction house is not going to take it that brand speaks mm-hmm. auction. and keeping a horse a year so you can get that title and then selling it for 400 500 600 bucks at slaughter seems very cost prohibitive to it the is. that person there's no money as somebody who is in the show pony world and the breeding world that doesn't make any sense to me. You can't make money that way.
1: No. Well, even with the recent like incentive program for adopting where the BLM has been paying people $1,000 to adopt an untouched Mustang, with hay prices and fuel prices these days, even by the time you get that title, you are not going to be making $100 on top of that horse.
0: No, I am, I am at on uh, two horses and a mule with hay and feed. I'm I'm at probably just those three bare necessities, and that's not counting fair your vet and all that. Three hundred dollars a month. Yeah. So I yeah. mean that that's not you're not making any. There's no money to be made there. Yeah. So I don't I don't see me personally. And again, this is obviously a question for you. Explain why that is very cost prohibitive and why that doesn't work.
1: I just think because like. There are people that are going to try to take a Mustang to auction before they receive the title. But like I said, you know, once you ad- if you adopt a horse, a Mustang uh, legally for a year until you receive the title for that animal is still a uh, BLM property. And a lot of the way that I explain to people is kind of like when you're paying off your car. You're, mm-hmm. you're making payments on your car. Yeah, it's your car to use, and it's your car to do all the ma- pay for the maintenance and everything like that. But legally, the bank owns that car.
0: Exactly. The
1: title. And uh, I explained to a lot of people, too, that, like, a Mustang, like, adopting a Mustang is no joke. It's not just, oh, hey, here's a horse that I'm going to go and get, and I paid, you know, a $125 adoption fee. And it's mine, and now I can do whatever I want with it after that. It is still owned by the federal government. And the federal government isn't a joke.
0: No. uh, That was employed by the federal government at one point in time. They're not a joke.
1: No, they are not. And uh, a lot of people really don't see it as that way. But, you know, cost-wise, I mean, even with the incentive program right now, if you calculate the time it takes for you to train that horse, even if your plan is to like, say you are someone that's going to turn around and take this horse to auction and you can't take it to auction until it's been titled. And uh, a year of feed for grass, even on top of with the incentive payment of them getting paid a thousand dollars to adopt that Mustang, you're not going to come out on top. You're going to make maybe a hundred dollars, but is that $100 that you make worth the time that you spent every day to go out and feed that horse? No. <laughs> Is it worth the time that to make sure, because like in order to get the title, the horse's feet have to be in good condition. It has to maintain a good body weight, and it has to be somewhat gentle. And so is it worth all the time of you training this horse and making sure that it can be seen by the farrier and the farrier comes out and trims its feet? Is it worth the vet checks and visits? Is it worth the vet coming out to sign off on the title paperwork for that farm call just to do that? You know, in some States it's more than a hundred dollars to do something like that. And so, I mean, in reality, even with the incentive program with people getting $1,000 a thousand dollars to adopt an untouched mustang, you are not going to come out on top
0: yeah, well, and i I try to explain that to people and and I know you do, you probably speak it to your blue in the face, and i'm not i I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm in the mustang world, but I know how horses work, and none of that makes any sense to me to right. think that you you're going to go adopt ten today, which you can't do, yeah, and drop them off at an auction tomorrow. You know, and send them to Mexico or send them to Canada and it just does not work that way. And I have a I have a theory on the ones that do end up in those situations are usually by those that think they're doing something good by going out there and adopting one and have no clue what they're adopting. And then it ends up bad and it ends up dumped.
1: There's a ton of people, you would be surprised on how many people show up to adopt Mustangs that do not comprehend what a wild, quote unquote, technically feral horse actually behaves like. Because a lot of people, you know, they'll sell like, I have an untouched yearling, you know, that's papered. Well, this untouched yearling that's been papered has actually had a human interaction from day one, from people feeding it, giving it grain. It's just never actually been haltered.
0: Yeah, well, and I'll I'll add to that. We don't breed horses the way we did in the fifties and sixties and seventies. Mm-hmm. We breed for brains and trainability these days. Right. That that we don't we don't breed for pure performance anymore. Exactly. And you're not going to get that with a Mustang
1: video about that I really appreciated that yeah no we don't breed for we we breed for horses that are ready for the show ring in 90 days being started under saddle yep and uh we don't have the horses that we used to which the ranch that my husband works for now is a prime example he does a lot of old-time breeding and uh he's a really good example of You know, some of these horses are pretty rank and they're pretty nasty due to the old time breeding just for uh, the fact that he really wants tough and gritty horses that can cover country. And if they lose a shoe in a rock pile, they're never going to go lame. You know, his horses, he's not concerned about horses that are going to perform in a ring that's going to cut a cow. He's concerned about horses that can cover country.
0: He wants rock crushers. Yeah, exactly. So sounds like they have a lot of Hancock's. Uh,
1: old time Appaloosas.
0: Ooh, that scares me.
1: Yeah, it's it's worse. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I have I have a theory about Appaloosas. Um, it takes a very special kind of person. Then just when you think that that Appaloosa is perfect, don't turn your back on it. It'll bite you.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, uh, the guy my husband works for, he does a really good job with his breeding program. His Appaloosas actually have manes and tails, so that tells you how old the breeding program actually Holy is. Holy crap. <laughs>
0: I, I made a comment on someone's video one time. They lived in Hawaii. and Apparently, there is this plant in Hawaii that if they eat it, dogs will lose their hair. You know, mm-hmm. wild animals will lose their air, hair and stuff like that. And this girl had an Appaloosa and had a rat tail. You <laughs> know? And she goes, yeah, and you know… Uh, and they can eat this plant, and that's what's wrong with their tail. And I'm like, you sure, it's not just an Appaloosa. Like, there's an yeah. Appaloosa like a mile up the road. From, I live in Aiken, South Carolina, which is like, I don't know, essentially Ocala. Um, yeah. outside of Ocala and Lexington, Kentucky, in east of the Mississippi, this is horse country, and yeah. um, there's a little everything around here. You'll even spot the odd Morgan around here, which makes my heart happy. But there's an Appaloosa about a mile from me, and I'd never paid attention to this horse, and I drove drove by one day. And I was kind of slowed down and look because I'm still a kid at heart, and I see horses yeah. and, ooh puppies. Yeah. And there's this rat mane and tail Appaloosa. This <laughs> comes up to the fence, and he's just staring at me, and I'm like, yeah, you're all Appaloosa, aren't you, buddy?
2: Yeah. <laughs> I mean,
0: just ratty. I'm talking tail to the point you could see the tail tail, you oh. know, not, not, not you know, and with like scraggly hairs coming out of it. Like the, the mane was like so roached and chopped up.
1: <laughs> Wispy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh. Oh, it's not, not my thing. Not, not my thing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, I, uh, I, uh. I built my preference for Appaloosas or non-preference for Appaloosas at a very young age. The horse I actually learned to ride on was half Appaloosa, half Arabian.
0: You had a uh, death wish.
1: I swear to God, I really did. Uh, (laughs) She was actually a pretty good horse for someone who was learning, but she had no mane or tail. She had a few spots on her butt. She had that Arab head and skinny Arab build. And I swear that horse knew when you had a crop in your hand because if you didn't have that crop, she would not move. Yeah. But if you had it, you never had to use it. But she did pretty well. And I always say that she was the best of both worlds out of the Arabs and Appaloosas. But still like right away I was just like, I'm never gonna have either one of these. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: so my 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 favorite horse is a half Morgan and she's just a mm-hmm. potato. She's a potato between the ears, and she's a potato in body, and she's just <laughs> a dull, dead-headed – she was a, a camp horse, and so she spent her whole life with people had no idea what they were doing, yanking in her. She's so – her mouth is so numb. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just you, – you really got to woe that horse. And, uh, but, and she's getting older, but actually my barrel horse is a Quorab that is half Egyptian Arab that was a <laughs> French racehorse. And dash for cash. Oh god. <laughs> yeah. She got the Arab brain. She got the Arab brain. She got the, the Arab refinement. Mm-hmm. And she got that dash speed. And she got the Arab endurance. And um she also got both of those horses attitude.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah.
0: And and you know, you know, you can you can trail ride her, she doesn't have alley issues, nothing like that. But there are just days that she just lets you know – oh, and she's a redhead, too. And there's just days that – yeah, redheaded, half-Arab, half-barrel quarter horse, and she will let you know that I am what I am, and there's nothing you can do about it. There's no amount of time you're going to spend in this round pen that's going to make me act right because I'm going to pretend like I'm acting right, and then all of a sudden I'm just going to dart that way.
1: Yeah. That's the way – uh my Reba, my Mustang right now. That's the way she kinda is. She just has that her and I butt heads so hard. And uh that's one of the reasons why like I refuse to sell her because I'm like I don't know like I don't know if she would be safe for anyone else because she's so opinionated on what needs to be done. (laughs) (laughs) That
0: that sounds like my mayor right there. She's the (laughs) boss around here. Like she's the boss of me. She dictates everything. Um uh, yeah. the and and that's a good segue there. So outside of working for the BLM and helping manage herds and all of that stuff, what is your personal relationship with mustangs?
1: Um so how I actually got into mustangs is uh when my husband and I moved to Eastern Oregon and we had one 22-year-old Hancock Fred mare to cowboy on between the two of us. And um uh, so I went to look and buy a horse. I hadn't bought my own horse in five, six years. And I was thinking, oh, yeah, like, you know, if I have like $2,000, I can get myself, a, you know, a few really good horses. No, the horse market had completely changed. I'd been involved in training for so long and not buying horses that I didn't realize what the horse market was. And you couldn't buy yourself a weanling that was halter broke with papers or anything that was started under saddle for less than 4500 And on a cowboy's wage, you can't buy five, six horses for that kind of money. You know, you're going to go into debt. And uh, so then that's when I discovered about the TIP program where people halter break Mustangs and adopt them out for 125 bucks. And uh, on a cowboy's wage, I could afford a few Mustangs that were halter broke for one hundred and twenty five dollars and start them under saddle myself. And uh, after I gotten a couple of them and started them under saddle and used them as working ranch horses, that's when I absolutely fell in love with them. And that's how I got involved, you know, just training them is just I didn't realize how tough and gritty and they can cover country and sure footed and uh just for a using cowboy horse, I mean they're one of the best horses that you're gonna get
0: and well, I think that's where a lot of people they they see things like the uh extreme mustang makeover, and they think yeah. every mustang is gonna be like that yeah. but and i've I've always been a big advocate that they make really good stock horses, especially those yeah. that especially if you're riding range. They're going to be a horse that's going to keep up with you all day. You might not find that one. That you're going to do dressage on. But you're going to find one that's going to crush rocks. All day long. Those dressage (laughs) mustangs are far and in between. Yeah. So yeah. If you're looking for your next. You know sport horse. That might not be the the thing for you. But if you're looking for a companion. And you're willing to put in the time. They're perfect.
1: Which I've told hundreds upon hundreds of people. You know that. Mustangs, as far as just everyday trail riding or just going out and doing, you know, gathering cows or something like that, where you don't need them to be top tier performers, they're going to do just as good as any papered horse for a fraction of the price. Yeah but uh if you're looking into going to the NFR for barrel racing or if you're looking into doing top tier dressage or if you're looking into doing you know some of this extreme competitive uh you know classes your mustangs aren't going to perform in that because they're not specifically bred for that they're bred to survive and that's it
0: yeah the you know, I had and and I hate to admit this, but at the time I was just getting started in my career with horses, and I wanted to buy a Mustang. And a trainer I was working with at the time, she goes, "Listen, I got a friend that's has got a Mustang. Go check out the horse." I had no idea what cowie was, in a yeah. horse, and so I'm I'm riding this beautiful dun Mustang, Devil's Garden horse, and uh, I I fell in love with this little horse. We're riding around. All of a sudden, it saw goats and it saw goats and it laid that neck down and pinned its ears and I took that as this horse has just lost its mind you know I'm I'm a beginner rider at this point point. and the mm-hmm. girl goes it's fine it wants the goats and I'm like I don't want it to want the goats and <laughs> and she goes you don't have a choice in this you can make her stand right here but she's gonna watch those goats mm-hmm. she thinks she needs to go move those goats right and so we're. I was like, oh, okay. And so I went to turn her around. When I turned her around, she cut back real quick, turned that neck, and faced them goats right back again. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I don't think this is a horse for me. And I look back every day and go, God, I should have bought that horse. That would <laughs> that would have been a hell of a sorting horse. Yeah, my um,
1: the mustangs I've had are pretty cow-y. I mean, you got to think of how much like ranch horse blood at this point a lot of mustangs have yeah and uh they do have that quarter horse cowie ranch blood in them and uh if you do your research on hmas you can find your horse like the one i have right now she has a cowie sob i mean she will do rollbacks, she will cut a cow, she'll bite a cow. The first time I had her out on cows, we were pushing little itty bitty babies and their mamas. These were like three-week-old baby pairs. And uh she would reach she would pin her ears immediately at this mama cow. If she would stop and turn back at her, she'd pin her ears and bite that cow. But then those little itty bitty babies, if they were laying on the ground, she'd reach down and just kind of push them up with her nose and they'd get going she's surprising like it surprised me but then you get to thinking of the history of a lot of these mustangs and you know where their bloodlines come from from domestic and you know domestic influ recent domestic influence is what i should say you know it's really not that surprising you know because a lot of these horses come from a lot of ranch stock horses that were bred for that
0: oh yeah well, and I, I'm trying to figure out where my red mare, my Clorab, got, because she's actually pretty cow-y. We have We have a couple of Holsteins that were just pets for my daughters. They're, I don't know, six months old now. They get anywhere near my red mare, red mare, teeth, ears. And I'm like, where did this come from? Where Where in your lines are you supposed to do this? Right, she's is she's cow-y as hell, and unless she gets around big cows and then when she gets around big cows, she just doesn't want anything to do with them calves oh yeah, yeah. she wants she wants to eat calves i don't yeah. know, i don't i don't I don't, know, I don't know what her deal is my Morgan yeah. thinks she needs we'll to baby part. them, but my Morgan licks them. <laughs> Like, my Morgan will hang her head over the fence, the cows will lick her, and then she'll lick them, and then now the donkey just gets jealous, so then the donkey does it, and then the mule's standing back watching, and then my red mare's trying to eat everybody.
1: (laughs) That's, yeah, that's kind of what we got going on now, like, you know, Reba, she wants to eat cows, she wants to bite them, but then I got Dan, the one from Stinking Water that I just recently adopted uh, beginning of this year, and my husband sent me a picture the other day when we first sent him to the feedlot of uh, there's a calf on one side. And Dan's like, oh, I want to lick it. Like he's trying to nuzzle it and lick it. Like, what's that? And like, he's yeah. not. He may not be super cow He's got too much draft influence in him. <laughs> yeah,
0: that, you know, that's what I say. Whatever is in, uh, whatever makes up the other half of my half Morgan was not a cow horse yeah (laughs) you know i've I've seen like there's some morgan lines out there that are good reigning cow horses um not not mine (laughs) she she looks the part that's that's it That's nothing at all what what advice would you give somebody let's say they're getting ready they've made their mind up they want to adopt a mustang and they're like everybody they're going through the online corral and they're mm-hmm. trying to find that horse, and then obviously they're going to get way outbid because the online corral just takes me off all the time, you know. Yeah. But um, or they show up at a they show up at an actual event. Like we had one here local not too long ago, uh, where the BLM brought some horses out. Mm-hmm. Um, what advice do you give somebody who is honestly getting ready to take that leap? Like, what do you recommend? What type of horseman do you recommend? Obviously not the first timer. This should not be your your first time ever training anything.
1: Yes, definitely. Um, My advice for most people who are first time adopters is uh, get a second opinion. Bring someone with you who is knowledgeable in horses who's going to have an unbiased opinion. Um, because I've seen so many people come to like the crowds that I work at. And one of my main questions is because 99% of the time they got narrowed down to a plain bay and a flashy pinno or buckskin or roan. And I will ask them if that flashy horse was a plain bay, would it even be a consideration for you? And that makes up their mind most of the time but definitely get someone who is going to have an unbiased opinion in it someone who knows your goals for this horse what uh your experience is um what your plans are someone that is going to keep you going to be that voice of reason when you're going to adopt a mustang
0: you sound like me when when i'm talking to people and they ask me hey i'm i'm just starting out and i want to buy a horse and i'm always like well do you have a trainer Because get your trainer involved. Well, if you don't have a trainer, then you need a trainer because you're not the horseman you think you are.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Have someone who has experience, who knows what your goals, what your plans are, what your level of training, what your level of horsemanship is. Someone who's going to help you find that perfect Mustang for you that's either going to help you train it along the way or whatever. Um But have someone that's going to be that voice of reason. Do not bring 15 different voices of reasons because they're all going to have different opinions. But pick your favorite voice of reason because I don't want to be at the crowds for three hours while you look at two horses. (laughs) But uh, it's always good to have an outside view looking in that someone that isn't going to get blinded by color or flashiness or size someone that's going to say, "Hey, yeah, that buckskin's really pretty, but it's absolutely crazy, and maybe you should pick the babe because the baby is walking up to you and sniffing your hand kind of thing." Uh, that one is going to be a little more of what you can handle in the future because one of my least favorite things is when someone comes out and I make a suggestion And say, hey, you know, I'll ask them their experience. If they don't bring someone with them and it's not someone I know, I will ask them all these questions. Because I want to help them pick a horse that they're not going to want to return or sell or reassign to somebody else. Because it's not working out for them. I want these horses to find a home that they're going to stick with either forever or for a long time. And uh, it is one of my huge pet peeves when someone shows up and they got this plain sorrel picked out in the flashy buckskin pinno and the buckskin climb climbing the fence and they say that's the horse for me but i've never trained a mustang before and i'm like this you know this sorrel was sitting here licking your hand while you're over there, <laughs> there google eyeing you know, over this buckskin pinno but and then you know three months later they bring it back because they're like it's too wild and crazy and then they're turned off from adopting mustangs in the future. Yeah, because of their experience from their choice.
0: The yeah, and and that goes for anything you know, from back when people bred certain breeds for color to, um, I see it all the time, and especially around here, is I am in warm blood country,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and I've always said that warm bloods are overrated when it comes to price, but not ability, mm-hmm. and you have got people that. They have never had anything. They are just starting out in, you know, the the show world, but it's already set in their mind. They've got to have a warm blood. When and they will go pay eight thousand dollars for a warm blood that is seriously trying to tear the barn down. When yeah. there's like a thousand dollar off the track thoroughbred that is jumping a meter sixty. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, but they're they'll pick on me if I get a thoroughbred. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they, you know, they want to get that pretty yeah. pally or that, that pretty buckskin, yeah. and, and, and I see it in other breeds too, and I know exactly what you're talking about, and it, it baffles me. I know when I was looking in the online auction, I was looking at a bunch of little bays and a bunch of little red horses, and the reason I was is because I figured not, they weren't going to bid up that high, <laughs> and I saw one go through, and I'm not picking on the horse, but I saw one go through, and... Uh, you, you guys do a pretty good job on the online corral with a bunch of great pictures, different angles, and then video of that horse moving out. Uh, for those of us that actually give a damn about things like confirmation, you know, yeah. I want to see that horse move. Um, because it is luck of the draw. These horses are not right. specifically bred.
2: Exactly. And,
0: uh, there is this little roach, back, gimpy looking little horse. And yeah. I'm not picking on it, but he was flashy. He was, Yeah. He, he he was he was almost he was like a he was like a gray with some reddish in him um yeah. had a just a red head what is that? what is that is that's not um, I'm trying to think that color has a name and it's completely loose of mine they have a red head red red legs, and the rest of them are just silver what do they call that
1: Strawberry Roan would be the only thing that comes to mind, but yeah,
0: and uh, I, I want to like say he had a, a, he yeah he was he it was a roan horse, and I can't remember if he had a red mane and tail or not. Um, that was went for like stupid amounts of money.
1: Yeah, like oh,
0: crazy was- amounts of money, and I'm like, what are you gonna do with that though?
1: There was one last year on the Oregon online corrals, and I specifically picked him, because he was flashy. I mean, he looked like a spitting image of the horse off of the Hidalgo movie. And, uh, but confirmationally, that horse was a wreck. He had some sort of Roman nose, banana head thing going on. He was long back, skinny legs, small chested, but he was flashy. And he I think his highest bid was like close to $8,000 and he was 13 years old. And I'm like, I can't like,
0: I, Ooh, untouched and, at 13.
1: And meanwhile, I'm ooing on over this little sorrel filly because she looks literally just like a really well papered Carter horse that just had a brand slapped on her neck. And she was very well. And she went for like 800 bucks. Yeah. And I'm like, she was two years old, and, I'm like, she had a very refined, dainty head, refined legs, especially for a Mustang. She literally looked like a really well-papered quarter horse, and I was just like, just because this horse looked like the one off of the movie Hidalgo, he went for a ton of money. Yeah, that's you
0: know? a, that's a, her, her now, hell no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, you know, uh, And in my mind – and I had uh, a Laura Brunel on uh, a few episodes back. She runs a little operation she calls Fox Hollow Mustangs, and she caught some flack from the internet horse trainers because, you know, Mustangs are different. You you, you approach them a little different, and uh, she was working on that horse to pick up her feet. That horse immediately turned around, kicked her in the back, and had never showed any signs of doing that before, had just lashed out instinct she just turns around back that horse right across the butt yeah like the majority of us would do
2: yeah
0: and she caught so much flat to the point she was thinking about giving up social media because we yeah. were calling her a horse abuser and this that and the other but anyway not i just that was off the subject but anyway i was talking to you, laura a few weeks ago and i was like am i wrong and, and i'm gonna ask you the same thing am i wrong to thinking that I have trained horses. I'm not a horse trainer. I'll never admit to say I'm a horse trainer. I'm not a professional horse trainer. Mm-hmm. I fix problems on my horses, and people have brought me horses that needed tune ups and other stuff or had problems loading or needed its first saddle and stuff like that and i've I've done that, but I don't consider myself a a trainer um, but i you know and I have trained some horses and again i I will reiterate i don't consider yeah. myself a trainer. Um, But, you know, to me, a lot of us look at the ultimate is if we can take an untouched Mustang and make anything useful out of it, those of us that have worked with horses. And I was asking her, and she's like, you know, here's my recommendation, this, that, and the other. And I said, well, am I wrong for thinking somebody like me is to go find a nice two-year-old or a yearling? And keep that horse and work with that horse and do groundwork with that horse for a year, two years. And then put that horse in the round corral as a three-year-old and work that horse like a normal horse. I said, am I nuts for thinking I am better off doing that? And she said, no. So I'm going to get your opinion on that. For those that are like me that have some training experience and want to take that next step, obviously younger is going to be better. Right. those yearlings and those two-year-olds that we can set on a year or two and piddle with—is mm-hmm. that a smart decision to make?
1: Honestly, for anyone that has a training experience and it, yes, and especially if you've dealt with people that have had horses with problems in the past, that are horses problems with loading in the trailer, horses that have problems when you ask them to pick up the canner, they blow up or something like that. A clean slate that you get to start with is so much easier. I mean, I have an easier time training Mustangs up to like nine years old than I have gotten horses in for refreshers. Yeah. Or I have gotten in from horses from trail riders saying, hey, this has some issues. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And so that's what I get. I get the... Oh, this is this is my baby, you know, yeah. she's 15, and she likes this, and she likes that, she likes this, and I'm like, you oh, know, she ain't gonna like me. Yeah. um, Because the horse has been babied his whole life, they thought bad habits were cute and quirky, and I spend more time... And a lot of these horses I get, I'm just like, this horse needs to be started over, but this horse is 17 yeah. now, yeah. you know, what do you do?
1: I'll tell you from my honest experience from doing both ends of the spectrum of... You know, starting horses for people at three years old that were that had these horses since yearlings versus starting a Mustang. If they were the same age and this one had experience being around people, these trail riders that babied them, that you know have messed with them and kind of dinked around with zero training experience. I will take the three-year-old untouched Mustang any day over the three-year-old halter-broke horse that the, that someone else has had with zero training experience. That that
0: watched a Pat Pirelli DVD and thought they were yeah. a horse Yeah,
1: exactly. And in my opinion, Mustangs. If you think logically, an untouched horse is an untouched horse. If you yeah. think, I don't want to do anything that's going to cause a flight response in this horse to where they're going to untrust me um if you just think logically about building trust in the animal first you're going to have such an easy time i mean 99 percent of the time when i put a first ride on my mustang whether they are two years old or 10 years old it's an uneventful ride thank you Because you build that foundation of trust, and you build a foundation, and you know exactly what's happened since day one. There's no second guessing on whether, oh, this person said that they used Pirelli and Clinton Anderson mixed together, (laughs) so this is like a disaster. Yeah. (laughs) going to kill me kind of thing. There's no second guessing on what's been done or what's happened or... Trying to figure out holes in any training, I'll take an untouched Mustang any day over that.
0: Yeah, the and you're 100% right because the, the a lot of the horses that I see again are they somebody's backyard baby. It mm-hmm. has been it has been completely baby. They've had it for years, and then they've bought DVDs, they've read books, they've done this, they've thrown I don't know ten different methods at it. And the funny thing is, is so like I said, I just went and rode to the horse. And I saw Glenn Stewart, who I actually really enjoy, by the way. I like Glenn. I don't know if you know Glenn. Uh, I don't
1: personally, but I've followed him.
0: He, he's I'd love the man's style. Um yes. And then yeah. Mike Major, um, mm-hmm. Brandy Lyons, and Pat Morelli Um I you, followed
1: Brandy's dad for, like, he was the pinnacle of horsemanship. So, when I, so
0: Brandy's dad was there, and he did a father-daughter ride. They were holding hands to that, and it was, it was kind of, I'm not a, I can't, I will sit here and say I'm not a huge fan of Brandy. Brandy, <laughs> under pressure, kind of fell apart, and her horse kind of yeah. paid the price for it. But you see all of these clinicians that are all selling so many different ideas, but you see yeah. them in a round corral starting colts, and they're all doing the same exact thing. You know, But they're going to sell you something completely different because they're yeah. going to give you a tidbit, and I'm going to fill everybody in on this. They're going to give you little tidbits of knowledge, so you'll go buy that next DVD that's got another little yep. tidbit and a bunch of filler. And along the way, you're going to buy this stick, and you're going to buy this string, and you're going to buy this special rope with a special clip, and you're going to buy this, and you're going to buy that. And that's where they're going to get you.
1: The carrot stick.
0: The carrot <laughs> stick. I never yeah. saw Pat Porelli use the carrot stick, by the way. <laughs> He did Neither use that been. telescopic wand thing he's got.
1: The guy I work with at the BLM went to college with Pat Pirelli. Oh, yeah? He's told me some stories.
0: So there is a, there's a picture floating around the internet, and people call me out on it all the time. It's a picture of me and Pat Pirelli.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm like, everybody's like, oh, look at you. And I'm like, he was standing there, said hey to me, and I was like, hey, it's Pat Pirelli. Let me get a picture. Yeah. What they don't do is read the comment under that, and I go, my friend Brandy was a um, clinician for Pirelli uh, for mm-hmm. a while, and I don't think she's big into that world anymore. But uh, I always, why is it every episode I end up throwing Pat under the bus? I mean, it's just <laughs> – godly. Anyway, and – It's just so easy to do. Huh? It's so easy to do. Yeah, I'm never going to get that endorsement deal from Pirelli now, but oh well. the But it – so I, I take this picture, but the caption on the picture is, is I was – I did it for my friend Brandy because she couldn't be there that day. And I actually went to go see another clinician, and Pat Pirelli was there. And I have all the utmost respect for Pat's son. Yes. Pat's son, um, the work that he does with his disability
1: yes. is absolutely
0: amazing. And uh, he can't help who his dad is. But the, the <laughs> – so I took this picture, and I sent it to my friend Brandy, so it was all over social media. But every once in a while, I let somebody go, hey, I went on your Facebook, and, you know, you talk a lot of trash about somebody that apparently you're buddies with. And I'm like, no, nah, no, guy, I am not buddies with, with the Pirellis at all. He <laughs> was just that, there, you know?
1: That's one of my biggest pet peeves. Like, a lot of people just, they take a picture, and that's one of my biggest pet peeves about TikTok, too. Is like a lot of people take a 60 second video and they assess it and assume so many different things from even yeah. the minute TikTok videos. Like, you know, I posted a video about this domestic turnout pony I have out here. Like, it was just a funny video of showing how tough she actually has been because yeah. she's, she's an Appaloosa pony mare that's 13 years old. And she's been quite nasty. And I think whoever turned her out was quite abusive to her. And so I posted a video about her trying to strike me, trying to bite me, trying to kick me. And all these people are making so many assumptions over a 15 second video and giving me advice. And I'm like, I've spent like 200 hours already working with this, like. You have no idea what's even going on from this.
0: Well, and that's why I don't post. Everybody always asks me, you know, you talk a lot about horses, to have very few pictures of you uh, and videos of you riding. I don't mm-hmm. post barrel runs. I don't post me working horses. I don't do that because I know there's going to be 50 comments going, "Wow, you look good up there, good looking horses." And the other and there's going to be another 50 that mm-hmm. are going to be uh, teenage horse kids that are just going to pick it apart.
1: And it's the exact same reason. You don't see too awfully many videos of me riding, writing uh, on my TikTok. I give a lot of advice and educational content or tips for training and stuff like that. But I don't actually post that many videos of me writing. And it's not because I'm... I don't feel like I'm qualified. It's just because I feel like if I post a 10-second clip of my horse doing a rollback, somebody's going to get pissed off because their head isn't down to their Fetlock joints. You know? It's like...
0: Well, and, you know, and, like, I... uh, A lot of people assume that you wear trophy buckles everywhere you go and yeah. and stuff like that like you have to be a, a certain way and I'm not one of those people either and so you know some, somebody somebody tagged me they made a stitch of a video I did talking about something and it was just them standing there with a trophy buckle and I'm like <laughs> you know I can turn right there you see that see that Gus Silversmith case right there yeah. 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 yeah that's a horsemanship champion buckle by the way and then my daughter's room is just full of ribbons Mm-hmm. and buckles you know I decorate her room with that but people are so quick to jump on well I don't I don't see any buckles I don't see any of this I don't see of that I don't yeah. see you ride I don't see you do no because it's not about that no it's not you know my I'm 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 more about the personal connection that I have with the horse not you know what I could accomplish with the horse is great Mm-hmm. And I've been able to accomplish some great things with horses, but that's not my personality. My personality isn't built on my accomplishments. My personality is built on my connections with people and horses. Right. And I don't want to take a bunch of video that people are going to just p- pick apart to the point that I'm just tired of making videos or I'm tired of doing podcasts at a point when it's starting to actually kind of become lucrative. I don't right. want to get burned out from stupid people that nine times out of ten aren't even in our industry
1: right well one that kind of touches back like i don't know if you saw the video that i made the other day uh where i would mentioned that uh the horse industry needs to hold itself to a higher standard but at the same time that is the problem in itself because everybody believes they're the highest standard yeah i i mean i have seen people I don't know if you've heard of like the nonviolent equestrians group. Um, If you want a good laugh, that's a good group to join, but you get banned really quick.
0: (laughs) Is that is that kind of is that one of those like like overly positive reinforcement groups? Yes. Ooh, I'm not gonna get along there. It's not gonna um, make it. I got. I I don't. I don't give treats for doing what I ask you to do. That's not. (laughs) I got
1: kicked out within five hours and the only reason why i got kicked out within five hours is because i was asleep for half that time <laughs> but,
0: i've been kicked out um, of quite a few facebook groups though on, yeah it one was i forgot it was friendly horse questions or something oh, like that i
1: been kicked out of that one
0: too. yeah and it was somebody somebody had they made a funny video and it was a joke and i had kind of tongue-in-cheek uh was picking on them with the video because that's what yeah you know, that's what the video was about. She's picking on herself. So I, yeah. I just jumped on the wagon, very tongue in cheek. One of the admins booted me, and I was like, "Why did I? Why did I get booted? You're being rude." Oh. And I'm like, "I oh, wasn't being rude. I was like, I was going along. We were having a conversation. We were laughing at each yeah. other. Yeah, but that was rude." And I'm like, "Oh well, message her and see if she felt offended. If she didn't feel offended. Then will you let me You're back in? in? Yeah. No, you broke our rules." I, I'm uh, like, "What the hell?
1: How I got kicked out of that non equestrian group is uh." The admin which she has like quite a few different profiles and all her profiles are admins to the group it's an interesting it's it's a drama fest but anyways uh she'd posted a video like kind of bragging on herself she's like she walks out and she picks up her horse's foot and she picks it and she said, "How many of you guys can pick your horse's feet at liberty like I can and so what? then I
2: Huh? I said what? Yeah.
1: That's- and so then I posted a video of me trimming Reba's feet without a halter or anything on. I just walk out there and grab a rasp and nippers and start trimming them and I said, Well not only can I do this, but then I posted a picture of me riding her entirely bridle-less you know doing figure eight side passes backups. So i'm like i can do all this at liberty too and then i got kicked out of the group <laughs> yeah
0: i don't here's i don't i don't call a horse a good horse if i can't walk out into the paddock or round corral or wherever it's at and it just turns to and looks at me as i walk yeah. up if it's not doing that then i'm like i ain't a little work buddy yeah i mean my i don't cross tie my horses for my farrier Usually mm-hmm. I just stand there like haphazardly talk to them, and they're on a yeah. loose lead rope because yeah. they know the drill. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, man, I don't get some of these people.
1: Yeah, they take, they take great pride in some of the most minute things. Like,
0: what, what is, what is one of your biggest pet peeves in, in our industry?
1: Um, oh, there is so many.
0: And I say our industry, I mean horses, because we are yeah. very different yeah
1: the horse industry i knew what yeah. you meant um one of my biggest i would say my absolute biggest pet peeves is someone who goes out and gets a quote-unquote kill pen rescue oh God. which we already discussed what kill pens are if it's advertised it wasn't ever at risk of going to slaughter it's my opinion
0: that that's that, that's not just an opinion that's just a fact
1: yeah and uh they go out and get this quote unquote kill pen rescue which is a horse they literally just went and got at a horse auction which was you know no kill pen buyers were even there and they say they rescued it and they trained it and then they turn around and have the most opinions about horse training because they literally just bought a horse that was at a horse auction that it was already trained that they claimed oh was a god, kill yeah. rescue. They
0: they put about two hundred pounds on a horse and they're a horse trainer now.
1: Yeah. yeah. They make their horse obese.
0: Oh god, yeah. Which is even they, worse.
1: They horse and make them obese and say that they rescued them from being starved. Yeah. And then they say they're the best trainer ever.
0: I had someone tell me my core app looked thin. And I'm like, well, she's half Arab.
1: I get, I get that on Reba a lot. A lot of people say that she is thin and that she's underweight. I'm like, well, I was a previous vet tech. And I can tell you right now that she is not thin, that she's ideal weight, actually. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that, you know, a a 15-hand fi- a horse should not weigh 1,100
1: pounds. Exactly. You should not have to, like, have to shove your fingers and force them to feel the ribs. You no,
2: should yeah.
1: just feel the ribs grazing across. And
0: <laughs> I guarantee you half of people's saddle fit problems is because their horse is flat back from being obese.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> I go over that so much with people.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh what do you what do you mean quarter horse bars won't fit on my quarter horse? Well your quarter horse is eleven hundred pounds and fifteen two. You do know you? we we say thousand pound animal and we're kind of being facetious when we say we fight thousand pound animals. What we mean is like seven hundred and fifty pound animal.
1: Yeah. No. <laughs> they should not actually weigh a thousand pounds. Like your horse is gonna have a heart attack.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's you know, if it's a seventeen hand you know half draft or something yeah maybe yeah oh uh, yeah i i've uh i have a client that has two drafts and um she'll tell you quick in a heartbeat They're on diets they're obese yeah and if you see them from a distance you're like man those are big pretty horses and you get up close and you're like whoa your fat has fat on it <laughs> like it, it looks like two two by 12s on their back With a spine in the middle. You know, I'm like, there's no side you know there's no draft tree that's ever gonna fit that horse.
1: No, no. Yeah,
0: is it that and that's what blows my mind about like halter bred horses too.
1: Not just that, but many other things as well. But
0: Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean I'm not gonna go down that rabbit hole. I'll lose (laughs) followers.
1: We'll be on here for another three hours talking
0: about. That's right. That is right. So So we've covered Mustangs, we have covered your pet peeves, we've covered the ins and outs of the BLM, how gatherings actually take place. There's one more thing I do want to touch with you, and I want you to be perfectly honest. What are your thoughts on the slaughter industry as a whole?
1: My thoughts on the slaughter industry as a whole is – Ever since it's been taken away and as illegal, made illegal in the United States, there's been uh, an extreme amount of cases of neglect happen in the United States because of it. And in my opinion, when it comes to if the horse is going to take a bullet in the head and die within milliseconds or living, you know months or years from being neglected a slow painful death because someone can't take it and get it slaughtered is animal abuse in my opinion
0: i would much rather see something useful in death from its byproduct than starve to death in someone's backyard or a horse's life be prolonged when it's obviously suffering exactly and its life be prolonged when it should just be ended the Um, And people go, well, that's what rescues are for, and that's not what rescues are for. Rescues are for horses that need another chance for healthy horses, and when you dump those hardship cases on the rescues that are already strained financially, it strains them even harder. And the horses that do have a chance to become adoptable don't get the attention they need Exactly because of of a horse that honestly should have had a dignified death. Yeah. So yeah, we're I, on the same page there. In fact, I, I have a video in my drafts that I am just, I'm itching to just put out. But then again, you know, I'm I'm about to hit sixty thousand, and I don't want to see it drop down to forty.
1: Tag me, I'll defend you. I will defend you tooth and you know, nail.
0: You know, you know that. Yeah, you know that sound that a lot of people use. that said, "You think it's funny to kill those guys." And he goes, yes, yes, yeah. I do, and it's. You think bringing slaughter back to the United States with um, uh, heavy regulation on humane treatment is funny? Yes. Yes, yes I, do. I think it should? Yeah, do that, it. that 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 needs, that needs to happen. I and I agree when slaughter left the United States, and I'm old enough to remember when the slaughter was open. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember as many. I don't remember the the rescues being overboiled with horses like they are yeah. now. In fact, I'm heading to the local rescue tomorrow to do some work. I don't remember everybody and their cousin having a horse stand in the backyard that was completely unrideable. They didn't know what to do with it.
2: Mm-hmm. Horses,
0: you know, I've known people now because at, there was a time a few years ago horses were so plentiful and they were so cheap. You go to the auctions and for a couple hundred bucks you could buy a plug and bring it home. And people were buying these things, and you know, then I would get the call, and then I'd go over and look. and I'm like, "Why did you buy this?" You know, you look at it; it's thirty, it's half blind, it can't even walk without popping, and every yeah. joint just, you know. And I'm like, "It's emaciated." And They're yeah. like, well, "Can you tell me what to do to put some weight on?" I want to ride it. And I'm like, "This doesn't need to be ridden. This needs a whole dog. Yeah. This thing is suffering."
1: Which I made, I actually made a video, uh, I can't remember how long ago it is that I made it, but I talked about old horses, and, uh, that people are keeping as pasture pets, and I'm like, just do them a favor and euthanize them. Like, the quality of life does not outweigh them living.
0: Well, I have a... I have a good friend, Jessamine Rice, and she co-hosts on here all the time. She's got a horse that's 29. That horse doesn't even look 20. Yeah. I have no problem with that. That horse is quality. <laughs> lot. She was telling me, she goes, he's probably rideable. I just don't ride him anymore because he, he'll get sore. That's fine. That's a legitimate pasture ornament. Right. When you've got a horse that's 32 and can't keep weight, doesn't have a tooth in its head anymore, and its hocks are constantly swollen, and its You're spine saying. is kissing…
1: Dollars a month in feeding supplements, just and to
0: keep. Yeah, it colic like three times this year. Yeah. You know, it's borderline Cushing's. Yeah. Yeah. It, do, do that horse a favor.
1: Yeah. That, I guarantee you that horse is walking to the water, thinking this freaking sucks. I hurt. It takes him twenty five minutes to walk forty feet to the water trough. When
0: you when you've looked at as many horses as I have, and I knew you have two. And when you look at a young horse or you look at a healthy horse and you can look into a horse's eyes and you can see there's a light on there and that they they just horses have this ability. And there's got to be some out there, somebody out there who agrees with me. You can look at a horse that feels good and look in that horse's eyes and see the brightness in those eyes and tell that they are just in love with just being alive and doing what they're doing right now. And if you ever look at a horse that's got a foot in the grave and just see that dead look like they just have a dead look in their eyes like they've given up
1: there's been people that have called me heartless for saying just euthanize the horse for the condition that it's in and I'm like I don't see how you can call me heartless when I look at that horse and there's no life in its eyes no there's Every single step that it's take is it's in pain. It's in agony, you know, and, you know, I've always been the person too that. Like I've told people if I ever get in a car wreck and I'm in a vegetative state, just unplug me. I don't care. Don't I've, keep yep. alive. your feelings. I don't care.
0: I've told my kids that if I'm ever that way and they discharge me for hospice, push me into traffic in front of the yeah. hospital. Yeah, I exactly. don't, don't want to live that way. And a horse definitely doesn't want to live that way. A horse wants to run. A horse wants to be free. A horse wants to do all the horsey things and roll and lay in the sun, and then you get police called on you because the neighbors think your horse is dead and all of that stuff.
1: When your 29-year-old horse that's emaciated and its ribs are sticking out, has no top line, can't even keep up at a trot. To go to the water trough with the other horses and it's sitting there whinnying behind the other horses because it's left behind it's quality of, quality of life is not good
0: yeah I, I always draw the line that if they're losing weight and they no longer have the ability to eat hay yeah that that's it's time to start be looking at that decision yeah because at, you know when, when they have to eat soup
1: yeah and I ask the people a lot I says that horse's quality of life is that horse's suffering to the point like does your feelings outweigh that horse's suffering when i see those i'm like does your emotional attachment to that horse are you only keeping this horse alive at the point because you're gonna miss them
0: yeah you can't or, emotionally dista- detach from yeah the horse and you know we've, we've all lost horses and yeah my first horse uh Was what, you know, kind of fueled my love for Morgans. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely loved her. And she was an an older gal when I got her. And I let her go at at 30, 34, I think. And luckily, I didn't personally have to make that decision. Mm -hmm. She had, she kept good weight all the way up till 30. Was eating fine. And somebody approached me and was like, I know you got an older horse. I just bought a bunch of land. Um, You don't ride that horse. Do you think I could just have her for an ornament? If nothing else, she'd keep the grass cut around there. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, sure. It'd be a great life for her instead of being in a dry lot here. Right. So I let her go. That horse lived another four years perfectly content. And then I get a phone call one day. And they go, hey, she doesn't keep weight anymore. Uh, the vet come out she had about to pull a bunch of teeth and recommended that maybe she should just be put down I want to talk to you first and I'm like if the vet says put her down put her down so yeah I, I go over there with them because I mean I had the horse forever and and went through that and it's hard and I think about that horse every day right but at some point, you have to draw that line. You got to emotionally detach. And I don't, I think most people, they do it for themselves and not so much for the horse.
1: Exactly. There's, you got to think about that horse's well being. And like I said, a lot of people call me heartless for the quick decision that I make to euthanize a horse. But how I make that quick decision is I put myself, in that horse's shoes yeah and I think about no pun intended horse's shoes but uh (laughs) but just like if you were skinny and starving and you couldn't walk across the yard you know if you couldn't eat enough food to make yourself have any energy or you know if you had a you know those situations like just i just envision myself in those horses spot yeah and that right there makes me sick even thinking about making that horse persevere, no. persevere that pain just well and they don't my they,
0: yeah they don't have the option to take care of it themselves so they rely on somebody like us to do it right you know i'm yeah it, it 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 baffles me and i know it's hard for some people but it you know it you got to you got to do what's you know and part of me honestly gets the hanging on to an extent yeah but you well, you know you got to you got to you got to let go for their well, sake
1: classified people in general you know there's always those posts about there's two different kinds of types of people you know but in my mind there's always emotional thinkers and logical thinkers
0: You can be logical and compassionate at the same time, though.
1: Exactly. And uh, I consider myself logical and compassionate at the same time. You know, when it comes to putting down a horse that's in misery, that's in pain, that its quality life is just extremely poor, you know, is that horse living, you know, more than 80% of its day in pain and agony just so you can emotionally feel fulfilled for that animal to be around yeah or you know in my opinion you know if that horse's quality of life isn't very good most of the day what's the point of keeping it around just because you're emotionally attached
0: to it that's right I 100% agree I 100% agree Sarah it has been a pleasure to have you on. Uh, I'm sure this will not be the last time I have you on, so I'm just gonna come up and I'm gonna, I, be like, I'm gonna have to get Sarah.
1: I sure hope not. <laughs> so, I
0: have we went all over the place. I had a whole list of questions I want to go and we got to talk, and it was like two old friends, and I just couldn't. you know you you rarely meet people that you click with and can and can roll. So I'll definitely definitely have you back. maybe maybe I can focus a little better and we can keep you. <laughs> Keep you wrangled in a wing. I know Jess has a whole bunch of stuff that she wanted to talk to you about. She follows you, too. Yeah. So, if you want to find Sarah on TikTok, she is the rare buckaroo. You won't find any finer content. What, 100 and how many thousand? 100 and what?
1: Um, only 112 short of 183,000 followers. Golly.
0: And your boy's only got, like, 54,000 right now.
1: Your videos are way better than mine. I, I absolutely adore your videos, especially your Aww. historical diving into, like, bloodlines and stuff like that. I yeah. get lost in those videos, and I have ADHD. It's hard for me to focus on stuff like that. So. Well, see,
0: it, it is – and I, everybody always wants to geek me because I make – every video, there's always a mistake. I misquote something, or I I, I, I miss say something. And I had a TBI a few years ago, and from that I have what's called post-traumatic epilepsy. And then, but it's led to so, so many other uh, side effects. My focus is all messed up, mm-hmm. and I honestly feel like I have a form of ADHD because I can't. I'm all over the map. I can't. Yes. Can't, I will turn on a movie that I love and get ten minutes into it. And go. I can't watch that. Yeah. I, you know, I just I, I've never been that way until that happened to me. So I I I'm not gonna sit here and say I have ADHD. I know what that's like. Um. <laughs> But I can – I'm compassionate with what you're saying, and uh, I love making those videos. They're, they haven't been doing as good as they used to do, um, but I'm still going to make them because that's what's fun for me. And then picking on everybody's horse breed too.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that
0: that Well, that's how I – I saw your Mustang
1: video that you made, and it absolutely made me laugh as yeah. Mustang myself i like
0: still i still have a yeah i still have to do like a i think that was part one of what was going to be like a three-part series and i still haven't gotten to part two and that was a year <laughs> ago so you know we'll, we'll we might have to do like a like a, a duo with with that oh, yeah. so i was like i used to do racehorses and then my buddy flo schmorganer uh on the app Who's she's also here in, in aiken uh, she's an off the track thoroughbred trainer and she goes, you know, I really like doing racehorses. Like, will you do those? And then all of a sudden I said, Well, I want to do a video on NIRCO because every famous racehorse today is like related to NIRCO. And she goes, Yeah. She goes, Well, I was gonna do Nierco, but you can go ahead and do Nierco. And I was, <laughs> like, Can I do Seattle Slough too? And she goes, No. No. <laughs> so, but thank you. Thank you for that. I love your stuff thank because you. I the the way the way I like to learn is the way that you you lay it up. You just you seriously did a map overlay in a video, and and showed cattle grazing and sheep grazing compared to HMA's, yeah. and then showed topographical information. <laughs> <laughs> Your girl well, is on point, y'all.
1: When I like to debate something. Um, my mom tells me all the time I should have been a freaking lawyer because I do like to debate. But when I do like to be to when I do like to debate, um, I like to get both sides of the argument and research both sides of the argument so that I make sure that my facts are correct. And uh, yeah, but my recent videos over the past however long that I've been following you, when I started following you. You really changed on how I reply to people. Because I do get pretty salty with people sometimes. Um, but you and, like, Teddy Frankie have really, like, I love how you guys reply to videos. And when I saw your guys' videos and how you reply to people and how it kind of touched me, it was something that I really looked up to. And I'm like, you know what? I need to really take that approach with my videos as well.
0: You're going to check me up over here.
1: <laughs> like, I absolutely, as soon as I saw one of your first videos, I was like, instantly follow. Like, this guy is awesome. Like, just how educational you are and how you reply to people and how respectful at the same time. Even when people disagree with you, you are very respectful. And uh you and I replied to a comment on the same video um about... um show horses and uh in the working industry yeah and stuff like that and your nice takes were quite a bit different and uh the way that you did your video on that comment i was just like his video was like a million times better than mine like it was just so respectful and so educational at the same time whereas i felt like that my video was a little bit disrespecting the show industry and I was just like his his video was so educational and so respect so respectful that it is going to intrigue people to encourage him to follow him and hear what he's got to say. Whereas I feel like a lot of my videos, um, some of the stuff that I say, really discourages people from following by the way that I respond. Listen, so, we
0: we all can't be JD Muleskinner.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: when when I grow up, I want to be JD. That's that's all. Yeah. I'm
2: saying. Yeah. <laughs>
0: You know, cleaning <laughs> cleaning camel toes one day and, you know, wearing big spurs the next.
1: Yeah. The other day, he commented on my video, uh, one of my videos, saying that Reba was the best-looking Mustang he's ever seen. And I was, like, honestly touched. I was like, oh, JD said he really likes my Mustang. The,
0: <laughs> the man owns a camel. I mean, that's like, yeah. he, you get 50 brownie points for that right there. They made yeah. a video about cleaning camel toes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, yeah. I love his, uh, I love how he deals with, because he doesn't get in arguments with people. He, yeah. He he just comes back with a one-liner and moves along. Like, yeah. he's commented on some of my stuff before, too, and uh, usually it was just somebody else's comment, you know, and then yeah. JD will comment something like, and I'm just like, forever I was like, who is this guy? And then all of a sudden I clicked on him one day, and I was like, oh, that's who that is, yeah. you know? And then and then you've got the completely other end of the spec well no, because he's like us, Do You know Donnie, um, saddlebred guy. Um uh, I'm not I'm not a cowboy, I'm a rancher. Cowboys work for me. Yeah. So yeah. me and Donnie are I won't say we're buddies, but we're we're acquaintances and I gotta get Donnie yeah. on the show. And Donnie just got attacked constantly. <laughs> Either they were picking on his teeth because they were too white. You know, yeah. saying stuff like that, or where'd you get that cowboy hat there from? You're no cowboy. The man yeah. owns the most gorgeous facility you ever want to see. Yeah. And breeds the most amazing saddlebreds you will ever see.
1: Yeah. And you I know. can vouch for that because I showed in the saddlebred industry. So. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I, I owned a saddlebred. I'm trying to get Jess into the breed, and she's like, they just look like giraffes to me. And I said, you need to shut and- up. It's just like I had to prove to her that there are Arabs that are not faced, you know? I'm like, you yeah. know, there are these stocky Arabs that honestly yeah. have like quarter horse type heads. I said, "They're old, too." And she goes, "No." So, we were at the Kentucky Horse Park. I took her to the International Museum of Horse. I go, "There." Yeah. And then on my uh, immediately she was like fixated with some like emaciated roach backed horse that was they took another <laughs> picture of it and she goes, What is that? And then we picked on this horse for like an hour <laughs> They're laughing. Like, oh. like, who, who's who stole that who saw that horse and said, Hey, let me take a picture of that?
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: So But it was a pleasure to have you on. I won't take no more of your time to see and I'm sure you got stuff you want to do. Uh like get your phone straightened out.
1: Well, it's past my bedtime now, so. Oh no, I'm sorry. It's past. Couch. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's definitely past mine. It's right at midnight here, so. Oh, jeez. But um, uh, definitely want to get you on again. We do a uh, every once in a while we'll do a roundtable.
2: table. Yeah. We call
0: we call it the roundtable of mediocre horsemen, and uh, we would we would uh it's gonna be a spinoff of this show, and I'd love to have you on there. And usually it's just a panel. It's funny. It's kind of uh PG thirteen ish. Yeah. Uh, we get a little wild, we get a little a little crazy, and we get a little too honest sometimes on there, yeah. so I think you would fit in great. Yeah. So, but again, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, well, definitely like to have you back.
1: I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm pretty honored that you asked me to be on here. So. Ah,
0: shoot, I'm honored that you decided <laughs> to come on. <laughs>